BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting info and is the easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events. Find all the latest league news and odds for the NFL, college football, MLB, and more. BetOnline is your continued source for live betting, scores, and odds updates, and the latest podcasts and sports news. Head to BetOnline today to use your mobile device to stay on top of the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. This episode is brought to you by Amazon. The fall semester is right around the corner, and Amazon's got everything you need for the classroom and your new dorm. From laptops and notebooks to stylish new clothing to bedding that's so comfortable you'll sleep through anything, even your roommate snoring. Save on all things college at Amazon. With a piece in my hand and bloodshot eyes, I walk to the water for a last goodbye. He begs so much, it clouded my mind. One thing's clear, the man's gotta die. Man makes right, so he said, when he held all the keys over our head. I lived in that grip, but now he'll learn at the end with the tables turned. Lord, forgive me. Take me on down the river where the kids can't find a red-handed sinner. On where the grave can't cry out. Cause I don't roll down the river with a hand on a colt and a finger on the trigger. And before dawn they try to find me. So take me on down. The river bank caught a boat sap, took off like a hurricane. With spotlights, dogs hit the whole nine yards. It's breathing down my neck and breathing hard. A two weeks in a wild chase across the highways, mountains over seven states. Found a man at the harbor, said that he could take me across the ocean somewhere far away. Lord, forgive me. Jumping off the ledge, but not before I catch two to the chest. Now there's blood and water filling up my lungs. Blood and water filling up my lungs. My heart is beating like a fading drum. Lord, forgive me, here I come. It take me all. 
searching for deeper answers when it comes to experiences with the Sasquatch and other cryptids, one man who seems to be taking that deeper dive is Ron Moorhead. His incredibly clear, scientifically vetted Bigfoot Sierra sounds will send shivers. In addition to these recordings, he's written two books, Voices in the Wilderness, which is the chronicle of interactions that went on for years up on the Sierra Nevada mountains, and then his latest, The Quantum Bigfoot, where he bravely goes where others fear and takes it head-on, again backed by science. The disappearing tracks, the pixelated images, and the screams in the dark. All of this and more can be found at ronmoorhead.com. That's www.ronmoorehead.com. You are listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio Network, the home of Night Dreams Talk Radio, with Gary Anderson, syndicated worldwide. Paranormal Talk Radio. Like you remember. Hi, this is Val Von Torn of Metatron Power and Light. You're listening to Gary Anderson and Night Dreams Talk Radio. Well, good evening. This is Gary. I hope everybody's had a great week. Boy, the week is just going by so fast. It is really shocking. It seems like the older you get, we go through a time warp. I mean, like, again, I've mentioned this on the show so many times when you're in grade school and first grade, you couldn't wait to be in second grade. And it took forever to get into second grade. And that went all the way through your school years. Of course, when you were a junior and all that stuff, you just couldn't wait to get out of school. And then it was like forever. But then after you hit about 60 years old, time just starts slowing. Well, actually speeding up to the point that it like. A week seems like a day. Are we actually in a time warp when we get older? I don't know. Well, this weekend, tomorrow, we got Heidi Hollis is on. She has a podcast on Coast to Coast platform with iHeart. We're going to be talking about shadow people. That's going to be a very interesting show. And then on Sunday, we're going to have our first annual Truckers Appreciation Night it's going to start at 7 p.m. Pacific West Coast time. Go for two hours. We're going to have trucker stories, scary stories. You know, like a trucker's driving late at night and picks up a beautiful girl. and He's talking to her, and the next thing, she's vanished. And then we're going to play a lot of great music for those two hours. Not just one or two songs. We're going to play a lot of music, and we're going to have a lot of fun. You know, the truckers have kept America going. If it wasn't for the truckers, we would be in a lot of trouble. And, you know, I want to have a appreciation night for them. Also, to be honest with you, you know, when I came out of retirement five years ago, September 6th, actually, when Art Bell called me up out of the blue and said, hey, you need to get back into radio and Internet is the way to go. Of course, then the radio stations kind of uh, followed that. But, you know, I got back on and I really didn't have no listeners. Of course, I... Didn't talk what I normally talked about. I normally talked about the paranormal for 40-some years. And I decided, you know, I'm going to talk about my passion, motorcycles. And in a month's time, I think we had 15 listeners. Art calls me up and laughing his head off. And he goes, have you learned your lesson? You don't have any listeners, do you? Hey, 
Well, he was accurate on that one. But then we kind of got into experimenting, talking about other things. And then I went back to my roots here a couple of years ago, started talking about the paranormal. And all of a sudden, all these truckers found us. They, you know, a lot of the shows out there have gone away from what Art did and what I used to do in broadcasting. And it, it, they, they kind of lost that magic. And, you know, if it wasn't for the truckers, we wouldn't be where we're at. So I want to thank all you guys out there that keep America going. And without you, what would I do without toilet paper after eating chili? I don't know. So anyway, also on the news, uh, that uh, in the next couple of years, what are you going to do when you have to buy an electric car? Because under this new bill that's going to pass with the Congress and Senate, they're going to put a mandate, just like they did in Washington State. I think in the next five, six years, you have to have an electric car. No new cars with gas engines can be sold. That is really alarming. My daughter and her husband went out and bought an electric car. I'm not going to mention their name. But, you know, she called me up one day and she goes, you know how much we're saving on gas? It's only costing us a couple dollars a month to charge the car. And then I try to break it down to her husband. And when he was going on the same thing, I said, but your life on your battery is about two and a half years on your car. Now you figure out how much gas would cost you in two and a half years. Now figure about 15 to $20,000 to have that car serviced. That whole battery pack dropped out from underneath your car. Another one installed. It's like a throwaway car. So are you really saving anything? I don't really think at this point the battery technology is there. Now, hopefully in the next five years, because they keep advancing in, in batteries, that maybe that problem will be solved. But the problem is that these batteries, all it takes is one to fail, and then you got a major problem on your hand. So that is really alarming. So, I mean, that is something we have to look forward to. Well, the world's largest ice sheet is crumbling faster than any scientist ever thought or any government. According to satellite images, this thing is like dropping huge amounts of miles and hundreds of miles of ice a day. Now, we are now, they're saying by 2050, the whole tipping point of the world. I mean, we're going to be in a survival mode. Look at Lake Mead. Oh, my God. They found another body. They also found another body in a barrel, but they also found a, well, part of the body of a guy who went missing while water skiing back in 1958. You know, that lake is down a hundred and some feet. So they're finding, you know, things that, you know, towns and all this stuff are popping up. And now the the, the farmers are starting to really panic. What are they going to do next year when they can't plant cl- uh, crops? Because now the government's saying you're only going to get about 18% of your water. That is not enough to water their crops or anything. That's going to be really scary. And where is our fruit and vegetables going to be coming from? Well, not from maybe our country. Yeah, I don't know. You know, we're talking about sharing up the grid. We need to share up the grid. But we also need to figure out how to pipe water into, like, uh, you know, California, Nevada, Arizona, because it, it's going to be really crazy. 
Even Mount uh, Shasta, the lake, Shasta Lake, which I have swam in that thing when I was a young kid. And I'll tell you, that was a big lake. And that is drying up, according to, you know, images from satellites. Something is going on, and and uh, we not, we need to jump on it now. I think the smartest move would be to pipe in water from the Mississippi. Well, it's no crazier than doing pipelines for oil, is it? Well, a pet psychic claims that cats and dogs know when they're going to die, when they're going to pass on right to the moment. I don't know if I buy that. She, the, one of their stories is that a married couple got a cat when they first got married and they've been married 15 years and the cat, according to the psychic, was going to pass on a week before it did but then heard its owners talking about, well, next week is our wedding anniversary. And the cat supposedly remembered, oh, they got me 15 years ago on the day they got married. So the cat managed to survive to the day they had their anniversary and then passed on. I don't know if I buy that. You know, I always look at, I've had a lot of dogs and cats through my life. And I always look at them in a way, they're lucky. They don't know when they're going to die. They don't even know when they're sick. They just get sick. Can you imagine if we all knew the day that our, we're expired, that, that day it's going to happen? I don't think I could handle that. Could you handle it if somebody, you know, said, you're going to die on September 24th at 7 p.m.? I'll tell you one thing. If somebody said that to me, the couple things I would do is, one, I'd start draining all my money and having fun if I was single. I would go on and do things I've always wanted to do on my bucket list. That includes finding 141 hookers. And I would enjoy what I'd have left. But knowing my luck, well, guess what? Maybe the date was off. I don't know. But I I don't think a person, a sane person, could handle, well, you're going to live to such and such date and such and such hour. I mean, you know, you don't think about death when you're in your 20s or 30s. Well, I take that back. When I was in the service and over the jungles, I thought about dying every second of my life. But after that, I, I, I never thought about it. And then when I hit it, like, in my late 50s, I started thinking about, well, how much more time do I have? Not everybody's like William Shatner. It seems to want to go on like ever and ever and ever. I mean, you know, life is very precious. Well, also in the news, could you believe in Massachusetts, there's a small town that had to close down. Now you're asking, why did they have to close down? Well, it's because of poop. That's right. Their their equipment broke down that kind of takes care of their poop and and all that stuff and they they figure it's going to be another week or so before they can fix it so all the restaurants all the toilets and this whole town you can't use so if you're going to go to that town in massachusetts you better maybe wait a week or two afterwards for that smell to clear up elvis presley the king you know, they keep saying, well, guy Elvis Presley's this guy, this guy, he's still alive. I don't think he's alive anymore. But they said that he was spotted in the Hollywood movie a couple decades after he passed on. 
And he was an extra in the movie because he was so obsessed with movies and being in movies. Maybe, maybe, maybe he was at the point where he couldn't go anywhere. When he got to the highest peak of his fame, he couldn't go anywhere. He, he couldn't go into McDonald's. He couldn't go into Dairy Queen. I had to say Dairy Queen because I plugged McDonald's there. God help me. And he couldn't, you know, do anything. He couldn't go anywhere without being mobbed and people trying to rip his rings off of his fingers and tearing off his clothes. Could you imagine Elvis Presley, his last year or two before he passed on, supposedly somebody ripping off his clothes? I wouldn't want to see that one. But I mean, they, 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 you know, they keep coming up with Elvis Presley's alive. Well, Hitler's alive, too. I He found a way to keep going on like they have a battery. I don't know. Well, tonight we got a great show. It's going to be a little bit strange. Do you have any pet toads? I don't know. Have you ever tried LSD? Have you ever tried anything that altered your thoughts? Well, we got our great guest back in again. We got Matthew back on for part two right after this. So stay tuned. We're going to take you for a real, real, well, wild ride here tonight. So prop up your feet on that easy chair. Pour yourself something cold, maybe even stiff to drink, because we're going to have fun here tonight. So stay tuned. Mind control set. Satanic rituals, unspeakable sexual perversions. This surreal combination of horror movie shocks and fascist marching orders is the signature of QAnon. Who is Q? In his new book, Operation Mindfuck, QAnon and the Cult of Donald Trump, Robert Guffey draws on his encyclopedic knowledge of conspiracy theories to diagnose QAnon as a highly engineered psyop, calibrated to capture the lockstep loyalty of its audience. Will its followers ever realize they've been had? Go to orbooks.com and order Operation Mindfuck today. Also available on Amazon.com. Matthew J. Matteo Palomari frequently visits the mountains, deserts, and jungles of North, Central, and South America, pursuing his studies of shamanism for over 25 years. He has 17 books in print in multiple genres and has taught a fantastic fiction workshop at the Southern California Writers' Conference and the Santa Barbara Writers' Conference for over 30 years. Mateo has also lectured at a number of other conferences and conventions throughout the United States and was a featured lecturer and performer at the Mysteries of the Amazon exhibit at the Appleton Museum and other venues throughout Florida, as well as the Larson Gallery and other venues in Yakima, Washington. Well, Matthew, back. You're back. I, I tell you, I'm still that one commercial. I kind of lost my thought there. I watched you laugh on that. You know that. <laughs> There's no escape from the cameras. We both know that. I know. Oh, boy, do we know that one. That's between me and you, though. That's right. Yeah. Well, how has everything been going this past week, or actually since you were on last? Things were really going well. Um, part of what I'll end up talking about is I just recently released... Uh, my it's death a love story 
And I just recently released the audio book, which has been doing really well. Uh, and, and book sales are up, and I'm cranking out some more short stories. So I'm in my happy place. I'm having a good time. And I've been thinking a lot about uh, our, our discussion and where we left off and all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. The, you, you know, I, again, I, I, I can honestly tell you, I never tried LSD in my life. I have had friends that tried it, and they claimed that they saw things and experienced things they would have never, never experienced without it and all that. I, I got to ask you a question. You, you experimented in that. What, what, uh, got, what got you into it? Well, uh, Gary, you'll don't, you never have to worry about doing it because I did it for you a gazillion times over. I've always been fascinated with altered states. Um, even when I was probably two or three, I loved getting dizzy on the, the wheel around. I forget what you, the tilt world thing on the, the playground. And then I learned to hyperventilate. And then when I was a young teenager, I was sniffing glue. And um, I wanted to try everything that I could get my hands on. And then... Wait a minute. Of, wait a minute. Okay. I tried sniffing glue. Okay. Uh-huh. But it was Elmer's gr- uh, glue, and that was in, uh-huh. in, in grade school. No, I, pro- I probably shouldn't say this, but it, uh, a Weldwood's contact cement and Elmer's contact cement, that was like this. That was the stuff. Now, I have to be honest with you. When I was in ninth grade, I hooked up with some bad people. And the girlfriend at uh, that time, I didn't know that she was into weird stuff. And she had a party while her parents were gone, you know, uh, for the day. And we were listening to music. And then the bags came out, the plastic bags and the gold spray paint. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I tried it. Ooh, did I get buzzed. And boy, I remember my dad with his army belt when I went home. I had to walk about two miles from her place to back home. And I didn't realize that underneath my nose and my lips were gold. Oh, wow. Golden lips. I, I could tell you lots of stories along those lines. I'm basically the, I like to say this to the ladies. I'm the kid your mother told you to stay away from. So, um, I, I went off after that. And then, you know, I was smoking pot when I was 14. And then I got turned on to LSD. Um, God, I was 16. It was about 1971. And back then, there was none of this microdosing thing. It took me like, it was, it was a four-way hit. And it took me doing it maybe seven or eight times before I could handle a whole hit of it. And uh, once I started getting into it, it was my favorite for a long time, I've taken hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on their first journeys with LSD. And then I got further into it um, with mushrooms. And I and I really wanted to try everything that I possibly could. And then I got to a point in, in my early 20s where I said, I need to take a break. I'm, I'm, I'm always high. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Once the secret is out, the adventure begins. Owen Wilson stars in Secret Headquarters, a new superhero movie for the whole family. While hanging out after school, Charlie and his friends discover the headquarters of the world's most powerful superhero hidden beneath his home. Stream Secret Headquarters now, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Rated PG. Head to ParamountPlus.com slash Secret Headquarters to try it free. When you look into Discover Student Loans, what you see might surprise you. We can help cover your college costs, don't charge you fees, and give you cash rewards for good grades. Ready to apply? Visit discoverstudentloans.com. Limitations apply. On something, (laughs) I 
you know, I, I need to take a break and see what what does the world look like without altering my consciousness. And uh, I tell younger people these days, you know, if you're getting high all the time, try going baseline for a while because it becomes a whole nother altered state, you know, because you, you're so used to being the, uh, the other way. So I took off. Um, I became a, a vegetarian. Uh, I was a vegetarian for 23 years and I went totally baseline. That's what we call it for 13 years. I wouldn't even have coffee. Um, I wouldn't take an aspirin if I had a headache. And I really cleared myself out. And, and in, in my research and my studies, uh, I came across Terrence McKenna. And the whole idea of... Uh, let's face it. Why don't you take a minute and explain who Terrence was? Because okay. Art told me that when he talked to him, he took Art for a ride over the Internet and over the phone. Uh, well, Terrence was a real uh, groundbreaking psychedelic explorer and he had a he had a real literary bent he was kind of a psychedelic bard in some respects he was sort of like um an heir to timothy leary in fact one of his first gigs timothy couldn't make it for some reason and terence showed up and, and wowed the crowds and then he grew and he grew in a lot of popularity on uh, on coast to coast there with art bell uh, they kind of had a regular thing going on and terence wrote a book called food of the gods and it had to do with all of the visionary plants that uh, tribal indigenous people used to alter their consciousness for different reasons. And when I said, oh, my God, spirituality and psychedelics can be connected. Uh, by this time, it was like uh, the mid 90s. So I, um, I, I spent all the money and I did all this under ground clandestine stuff and to make a long story short i spent a thousand bucks and started growing my own mushrooms and then i connected with the rest of the tribe uh, among them uh terence uh, paul stamets the big mushroom guy uh ann and sasha shogun sasha, sasha was like the grandfather of designer drugs and, and all these uh psychedelic luminaries for lack of better words oh wow. this I'll, I'll let you, you you can go for a minute but this ties into what I was going to talk about anyway that's a, that's a good ramp up for that but but uh, uh you got to talk to <laughs> well I I you know I just want to say this and I'm going to take a minute or two of this and I haven't gone and told many people this I think I've maybe told my wife of this when I was in Vietnam you know, a lot of uh, the military people you know their parents would send them weapons like shotguns because, you know, just for added protection. Uh -huh. And this one guy uh, that I was buddy with had a shot-off uh, shotgun. And, you know, what he would do, he would smoke marijuana like you wouldn't believe. But he would use his shotgun. Oh, yeah. And here's what happened. One day, he was high. And he was sitting there with his other buddies. And they were, you know, he got a shotgun out. And he thought he emptied it. And he emptied one barrel. It was a double, you know, it was uh, a double barrel yeah. shotgun. Yeah. And he, he was talking with it really, really heavy on it. And then there was a big boom. Oh, jeez. And uh, he didn't have any head after that. Wow. And that, you know, that just, you know, I, I never, I'll be honest with you, because of that experience, I never touched marijuana or any of that type of stuff my whole life. And then two years ago. 
I injured myself at our mini farm. One of my goats attacked me, knocked me down, tore all my muscles in uh, attendance in my right knee and did major damage to my knee. And, you know, because of COVID, they didn't want to operate on it because it was going be a major thing to put it all back together. And uh, he prescribed, you know, some painkillers. And I said, you know, I really don't want painkillers that much. So he gave me where I could go get, you know, uh, marijuana. Because mm-hmm. it's legal in Washington State, but medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tried smoking it. And I'll be honest with you, I couldn't get off on it. I mean, I got sick. So my one son decided, well, you know what? They have this liquid marijuana, you know, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and we'll just mix it in with your Coke. Oh, OK. Well, the thing is, he put enough of it in. I didn't realize it afterwards. He poured the whole little bottle into my Coke. Wow. And I, I drank the Coke. And about 25 minutes later, I didn't know where I was at. I tried yeah. going from the living room down the hallway, bouncing on the walls. Mm. I got into the bed, and it was like worse than anything I ever did drinking-wise. I mean, my whole bedroom, not the bed was turning, the whole bedroom was turning. And then when I woke up two days later, I went and said, son, okay, what did you give me? And he shows me the bottle. I said, son, it says three or to four drops per mm-hmm. eight ounces of liquid. Yeah. You poured the whole thing in it. Yeah. That was a trip. I tell you, that was a trip. Literally, right? Oh, oh, yeah. It was a trip. Believe me, I had nightmares. And can you imagine two days of that? I, I probably consumed, uh, I don't know how much, but, you know, I told my doctor about it. He said, you're lucky you didn't have a heart attack at your age from that amount. Yeah, that's what Terrence McKenna would call a heroic dose. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I vowed, though, the day I die, if I'm awake, I'm going to do the same thing. What, yeah, a, way whenever, to, what yeah, a way whenever, to go. Whenever I've eaten it like that, I just fall asleep. I almost go into a coma. Yeah. So, it's magic, fun. okay, we get into, like, magic mushrooms and stuff like that. How does, what's that like? Um, It opens up that. And ayahuasca, which ayahuasca is kind of my specialty, although I've, I've really done tons of everything. I've got, you know, over 50 years of intense experience with altered states of all kinds I could find. Some have appealed to me, some don't. But the, the plants in particular have a whole spiritual component to them. So uh, mushrooms, uh, beginning with smaller doses, mushrooms increase your visual acuity and your edge perception. So there's a Terrence McKenna came up with what he called the stoned ape theory, where basically uh, apes came down out of the trees and they discovered the mushrooms and ate them, which enhanced it gave them a, a, a competitive edge in hunting because their edge perception was increased um, and their visual acuity was incre- you know increased. And um, it, it tends it opens up your mind in ways of perception that are different. Okay, Matthew, we hate, I hate to say it, it's wrong timing, but we have to do a two-minute break. Yeah. And we'll find more out about this with Matthew right after this, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. You got it. Well, I saw you 
Setting the mood like a light in a smoky room. Dancing to the blues like a disco groove, catching every eye. When I saw you looking at me with a smile like you wanted me. Saying, boy, come on, will I break be gone? I just had to try. You just move. Pennsylvania was unknown to paranormal enthusiasts until the Kevin Paul Amazon bestseller Haunted Hills and Hollows What Lurks in Green County Pennsylvania revealed the phenomena lurking in and the haunted history of the southwestern corner of the Keystone State Even more high strangeness can be found in book two of the series Kevin Paul's Haunted Hills and Hollows 2, still lurking in Greene County, Pennsylvania. One thing is certain, it is nearly impossible to be alone in Greene County. These riveting books, Haunted Hills and Hollows, and Haunted Hills and Hollows 2, by author Kevin Paul, in paperback, Kindle, and audiobooks, are available now on Amazon. Remember how great paranormal talk radio was in the 80s and 90s? Night Dreams Talk Radio brings back to you talk radio like you remember. With your host, Gary Anderson. Broadcasting to you live from his secret compound deep in the great Northwest. Now... Here's Gary. And here I am with my friend Matthew. Okay, well, let's get back to, well, what you were explaining to everybody. Yeah, so, uh, you know, the the primary thing about psychedelic, and I've been using more visionary experience with a spiritual kind of connotation, but the, the primary thing about psychedelic experience is what's called set and setting. And that is, who are you with and where are you at? You need to be in a safe uh, space, uh, you know, you don't want to be around a bunch of guys with guns who are talking about shooting each other and doing this kind of thing. Would they shoot themselves if they were on the wrong stuff? 
Um, possibly, but but here's the thing: <laughs> psychedelics overall, broadly, mushrooms and LSD, they they amplify things. So a lot of people who had psychological issues to begin with, and then take something that amplifies them, they can flip out because they were they were neurochemically or psychologically unbalanced to begin with, and it brings it out. Well, you remember Dragnet. You remember oh, yeah, uh, sure. Sergeant Friday? Just, just, the, facts. just, just Fr- the facts, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. Remember Sergeant Friday, you know, talking about the, the guy who jumped off the apartment roof and thought yeah. he could fly when he was on LSD. Well, interestingly enough, the first, uh, I, I, I think this is correct. Don't quote me on this for sure. But I think the first, like, sort of fatality was like a CIA guy who was <laughs> psychologically troubled and they dosed him and didn't tell him. And he jumped off a building because he was depressed to begin with. I mean, that's that's like the ultimate sin to do to anybody. Give something without their knowledge of it. I mean, that's horrible. If they're really in a rough shape to begin with, I've seen a few psychotic people where they really came out uh, where you wouldn't have known it because they had they had the, 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 their you know their front that they put up with their face, their act. You wouldn't have known. And then, of course, out comes the monster. Now, when you do this, uh, like I do with ayahuasca in the jungle, I'm calling it out. I'm saying, bring it. I want to see what's in there. And, and um, ayahuasca in particular, mushrooms can do it too. They can have a way of amplifying your deepest fears. And when they're amplified, then you get to see them and work with them. And when you're in the jungle and you're mostly by yourself, there's nobody to blame it on. There's nowhere to run. So you got to face the music, and that—that's part of the growth. Have um, you ever been scared while you were experimenting with all this stuff? Oh, terrified! I, I almost killed myself some years back, um, combining plants and things, and I was really depressed, and I didn't realize it. That was back in the '90s, but I survived that, and ultimately, I grew immensely from it, and and I ended up being way better off because of it. But I've been terrified in the jungle. I've woke up screaming in the middle of the night, just terrified out of my gourd. And as I like to tell people, and I'm, I'm leaning more toward this, again, this, this can happen with mushrooms and ayahuasca, but I like to think of mushrooms as basic training for ayahuasca. And in terms of plant medicines and traditions, ayahuasca is the deepest, most, in my humble opinion, most powerful. Uh, there's also iboga and uh, other substances and things like that. But in terms of the whole ayahuasca culture, well, been, how uh, how does that drug work? I mean, uh, we, yeah, well, how much? What do you do? Tell okay, us. Okay, so here, here's what you do. I, I'll, so when I go when I go, well, let me talk about ayahuasca at first. Ayahuasca is really a combination of two plants. There's the vine ayahuasca, Bonasteriopsis copy which contains uh, MAO inhibitors. And then there is the plant, Chakruna, they call it, which is Psychotria viridis, it's a little bush, which contains the DMT. Now, you can eat Chakruna all day, and nothing will happen because it gets uh, assimilated within your system before it can become biologically active. But when they mix it with the ayahuasca vine in in the brew, in the drink, the ayahuasca vine contains the MAO inhibitor that allows the DMT to become orally active. And then you go on about a five-hour journey. Unless you keep drinking it, you'll go longer. What is that compared to like LSD? What, what's the difference? 
in my humble opinion, all of what I'm telling you right now is all in my universe. So, <laughs> you know, I'm not laying down the law except for myself. But in my humble opinion and experience, LSD is an amplifier. And you can have some great experiences if you're in the right mindset with the right people in the right way. But in my experience and my opinion, ayahuasca are plants. And in the jungle, it's a plant spirit. And in my humble opinion and experience, there is an actual intelligence behind it. It's, it's considered a spirit and a teacher. And in fact, it's considered the mother of all the other plants. Uh, in the jungle. And there's like, there's like, for lack of better words, like a palpable intelligence behind it. Same thing with mushrooms, but, but not with LSD, not with like, you know, speed and some of those other things, other drugs and substances, whatever that, no, some of them just alter your consciousness or deaden you or, or, or numb you or, you know, don't get me going on alcohol, but, but, uh, these drugs, uh, these substances, I don't even like to call them drugs. These are prehistoric traditions that I've been working with in prehistoric plant medicines that go back literally to prehistoric times. How would they know out of the millions of different plants in the jungle to combine these two to get that specific effect? That is, and, yeah, we, you know, was it accidental? I mean, you know, I mean, how far back were they able to trace this? They, they, it's prehistory, so you don't know. But there are some great mythologies and things throughout in it. Like there's one that an Indian woman went down every day to the riverside and she was bathing herself in the Shakrunas plant. And, you know, this is the myth of the story. And the spirit of the Shakruna plant showed up one day and said, why are you bathing yourself in me? I'm really interested in why you're doing that. And she said, because I really like the way you make me feel and, you know, you smell good. So the spirit of the Shakruna said, you need to take me and combine me with the ayahuasca vine and bring it to your people. And, you know, you will learn things. And, and, and so that's just one of the myths. Interesting. Now, how about side effects? You know, years ago, a friend of mine got in trouble and I didn't want to rat him out. Uh -huh. and, and I refused to tell, you know, and I got stuck. They said, OK, uh, you got your choice of a lie detector test or we'll give you sodium pentothal or, you know, true serum mm -hmm. because I just didn't want to wrap my friend out. I did. You know, this is like when my, in my early twenties, he did something sure. bad. He went to prison for like about 15 years. Yeah. And, uh, the, the reason why I did it, they gave me a choice. Well, Hey, well, you know, we'll look at you if you don't do it. Now I, they gave me sodium pentothal and in, which is a derivative of LSD, what they told me. And I actually had trips off and on for a period of time after that. It just would, my mind yeah. would go kind of weird for a while and then come back. Uh, does any of this stuff affect you that way? Oh, yeah. So so here, you're going to love this. In indigenous traditions, sleeping and dreaming and waking and visionary experience, for them, there's no difference. There are no boundaries. They're just different states of consciousness in different degrees. If you're in a state, for argument's sake, one that's common, your listeners would, would know, uh, if you're in a dream and you're flying a pink horse with purple polka dots, in that moment when you're having a blast flying on that horse, you totally accept that reality. It's real to you in that moment. You don't question it. Yeah, of course I'm flying a horse. You know, I'm, I'm here. I'm having a good time, right? 
And so uh, in my experience, particularly in my first Dieta in the Jungle, which I wrote about in my memoir, Spirit Matters, uh, in depth, um, I had the most profound lucid dream of my life. And it came to me as a spirit and kept talking to me and talking to me. And, and I even came to the point where I realized I was sleeping in the jungle and I was in the dream and the dream was more real than the jungle. And then the next night in the ceremony where I drank the ayahuasca, that spirit took me over for about four hours and I was, I was in bliss. I was literally, I, that, you want to know about the definition of rapture? That was a definition of rapture. And she was speaking to me in Spanish, and I didn't know any Spanish. It was telepathic, and I knew everything. And it really, really changed my life dramatically um, in the best way. Um, it, it, it ties in with the mother spirit. My mother kind of ties in a little bit about uh, some of what I'm going to tell you in a little bit. Interesting. Um, Very interesting. Yeah, it, it, in the jungle they call it la purga, which is the purge. And when I've led ceremonies and I start singing the songs, the sing the songs are called Icaros. And uh, in the lore of the jungle, um, ayahuasca is the river, and the songs and the music are the boats that carry you along the river. So uh, you guide journeys, and there's kind of a joke that if I'm singing an Icaro and people aren't vomiting, I'm not doing my job. And if, and if they start vomiting a lot when I'm singing, then then um, that's the highest compliment. Interesting. Now, how how long were you in the jungles for, Matthew? I do. Um, I've done I've done a dozen ten day dietas, and in the dieta. Uh, and then I've also worked with the Shipibo Indians on and off for weeks on end in the villages and stuff. I've tr studied about four different traditions, but the primary, most prehistoric one is the one I've been working on the longest. So you get either um, oatmeal, quinoa, or rice boiled, a baked or boiled plantano, which is a non-ripe banana, and then uh, a piece of chicken or fish every day or two or every couple of days or whatever, or once a day, depending on how things are going. No soap, no salt, no shampoo, no sense of any kind, no toothpaste, uh, nothing. You also get other plants crushed up in a bucket and mixed with water, so you take plant baths. And then you do a ceremony roughly every other night. So you'll do five ceremonies over the course with the group over the course of 10 days. And the rest of the time you're by yourself in your open air hut, it's called a tombo. The rest of the time you're there. Now every day, you'll get a picture of a particular plant that's different, uh, a helper plant, or a mixture of plants. You drink that picture every day. You do the ceremonies every other night. And when you're not in the group in the ceremony, you're totally by yourself in the jungle in your tombo, which, which is the open-air hut. And then when you get to be a old... For years, Golden Door guests have savored the moments between fitness classes with a warm cup of organic, gluten-free, vegan potassium broth. Now you can enjoy it at home. It's a delicious way to replenish tired muscles, boost your immune system, and increase your energy. Treat yourself to this daily ritual. Visit shop.goldendoor.com now and get 20% off with promo code IHEART. Golden Door's potassium broth. Good for your soul. When you use the Internet, you automatically share personal information that can be used to discriminate against you or charge you more for a product. 
Fortunately, the California Privacy Protection Agency is making new rules to let you better control your online privacy. For example, Californians have the right to ask businesses to stop selling their information or even delete it altogether. But that's not all. Visit cppa.ca.gov to learn more about your privacy rights and how to participate in our public hearings later this month. Old dog like me. Not only do I do the five ceremonies at night, and now they give me like five or six different plants. I got to drink the whole pitcher every day. They also have me do two two journeys by myself during the day with the ayahuasca. So over that that ten day period, it's really like one long ayahuasca trip because your dreams and your visions and your waking reality all blur, and you begin to have telepathic experiences, and uh, and your awareness. It's, it's it's all about expanding awareness. And um, this is all about expansion. It's expansion of consciousness. And this is one of the most tried, true, and prehistoric tested ways it can be done all through nature. So you do that for 10 days and you get really opened up. Uh, you get cleared uh, on, on psychic levels, physiological levels, spiritual levels. And you get shown things in ways you can't even hardly begin to describe. I've spent my life trying to describe those experiences, which by their very nature are non-rational and they go beyond words. Well, can you tell us and share some of those experiences you actually had? I got a long, not too long, story that runs through four of my books and somebody else's book that ties in with all this. I've been dying to talk about this. You and I, when we left off, we were talking about death a little bit and we were talking about toad, uh, smoking the toad and some other Things. And we were talking about death. And you had asked me if I've ever had a death experience. And I said I've died many times kind of psychologically. So back in 1998, I went to these entheobotany seminars. I started going. Now, ethnobotany is man's relationship with plants. And theobotany is man's spiritual relationship with plants. And theo, the Latin, is theo is God. And in essence, it's a God within the plant that brings out the God within you. So I was at this entheobotany seminar at the Maya ruins in Ushmal. It was a week long. Terence McKenna was there, Paul Stamets was there, Sasha Shogun, all the big names at the time. Christian Reich, who was Germany's leading expert in shamanism, they all came and it was a really informative, you know, uh, week long seminar. And of course, all these chemists came with their, uh, their new creations. So it was a big, big uh, involved experience. But I heard and I saw the results of somebody smoking 5-MeO-DMT, and I was blown away. And so was it my friend Jacques. So um, they ran out of it, the people who had it, and, and they said, all you got to do is go to this chemist, this uh, ph uh, pharmaceutical company in China, and order it. And they'll mail it to you. So I said, okay. Now, this was back in 1998. So this was before anybody even hardly even knew what it was. And it was synthesized. So uh, we ordered it. And we, had, we made an agreement after the seminars to meet in May of 98 and smoke it. And it totally blew our minds. Now, the regular DMT that you hear about, uh, the 15-minute businessman's trip, machine elves and all that, that's called NNDMT. There's two nitrogen uh, atoms that are hung on the end of it. And then 5-MeO-DMT is 5-methoxydimethyltryptamine. And that's the big component in uh, toad venom. 
There's also some trace elements of it in ayahuasca in the vine, but not big anyway. But it's a big part of the toad. Now, this toad is uh, uh, Bufo alvarius, the Sonoran desert toad, and they milk the glands of it. And when that poison, it's toxic, dries, you smoke it. And you go through like a, a death experience. Your ego gets dissolved. Um, it's, it's very profound. But um, he and I worked with it at the time. Uh, by the way, re it's gotten a bit out of hand. And people are doing too much with the toads. And they're, not, they're, they're, they're getting stressed out. So people are heading back toward uh, more synthesized uh, stuff. But anyway... It was very profound and life-changing for both of us. And we both spent probably 10 or 12 years bringing people through this experience. And when we did it, we sat with them and we paid close attention to every nuance of their breath and everything. Because you, you check out, you're gone. We, you, you take that hit and you're gone for 10 or 15 minutes. You're not there. You're someplace else. So we were always very, very careful, one-on-one, -on -one, really watched over people and, and really took it very seriously. But some other people were not as responsible and they were getting out of hand with it. And it resulted in some deaths. And even now, more of these quote unquote uh, uh, guru types or whatever they are, there are, some people have died and it hasn't been responsible. So that makes me a little crazy. Well, how much but, would you have to take it to kill you? Um, th there are other things that can happen. You can choke on your vomit. Um, it's not so much the substance, but you could conceivably, like your heart may get too excited. Uh, your, your system can get stressed like that. But it's not necessarily the, the substance itself, but it, the effects of it. Um, but it's a very powerful uh, ego obliterating death experience. When you're dead, do you are you going like what these people see is say that they see these lights in the tunnel and, well, okay, and, and that's that's the end of my story. Okay, so I'm sorry, I'm, I jumped I'm, ahead. I'm, no, no, I'm heading there. Okay, well, I'll slow it down. Uh, I'm the one that's going fast. <laughs> anyway, Jacques and I, since that, have had this weird connection and parallels in our lives. Um inexplicable and, and different where we both had great loss at the same time. Now, um, when Terrence McKenna passed away, Jacques, uh, well, Terrence McKenna got the very first copy of my historical novel, Land Without Evil, that I had Jacques personally deliver to him just before he died. And it may have been the last book he ever read. I'll never know for sure. But he was reading it. I know that because people told me. Anyway, after Terrence died, Jacques took care of his place in Hawaii for five or six years. And um, after Terrence died, they were clearing out the place. And Dennis, his brother, they were helping clearing things out. And Dennis left and Jacques was there all alone in the house with Terrence's ashes. So he decided to take a big hit of 5-MeO in the presence of Terrence's ashes and had his own experience. Uh, wait a minute. I got my ESB going. I got a funny feeling about this story. Go ahead. All right. We'll see if you're on or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, flash forward when my mom was dying. My mom had colon cancer. Uh, this was back in uh, 2004, January of 2004. She had colon cancer. And um, 
her last days, she went in the last three days, she went into a coma. And I spent three days doing shamanic ceremony while she was in the coma. I was doing incense and playing spiritual music and anointing her and, and really doing the whole transition thing with her. I only had one dream that I remember during that time. And in that dream, I was, a, I was in a boat with sandals and it was like Egyptian. And I was ushering like a dignitary across a river. It's the only thing I remember. And my mom and I both had um, a big thing about Egypt. I still do. My, my next book has a lot to do with Egypt. So we had this Egypt thing. And that was the only dream that I remembered. Now, at the moment my mom died, my brother and my sister, three of us were holding her hand. And at the moment she died and let out that last breath, an owl hooted outside of her window, and then her stereo turned on by itself really loud to Frank Sinatra. And I take it she was a big fan of Frank. She was a huge fan of Frank. She had worked with him. She was in show business. Oh, wow. And he actually asked her out for a date, and she was afraid to go out with him because of all the gangsters around him. <laughs> but So she always had this thing with Frank, and I grew up listening to Frank Sinatra all the time in the house. So, yeah. So it went off really loud. We all jumped. Right. So we got that under control. And that was like at two in the morning. And then the house settled down and got quiet. And uh, I was my mom's executor and I had already had power of attorney. So we had all the funeral arrangement stuff was all set up. So I called the mortuary guys. They came and they, they took her away. Now, you had mentioned you lost a couple of sons. Right. And you mentioned that you um, were out in nature and you were, you were depressed, obviously. And then you had sort of this experience of seeing the connectedness of it all. Is that a good way of me? Uh... Yeah. I, you know, I was sitting, you know, in my mini farm. We got all cedar trees around my property. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at the trees. I was looking at the, you know, the stars. It was, you know, it, you know, I stayed out there that long just staring at the, at nature. And all of a sudden I started feeling part of nature. Okay. And then that sadness kind of just went away. All right. So after my mom died, thank you for that, by the way. Um, after my mom died and the house settled down, it was pre, pre-dawn. And I went out on her front porch and I took a big hit of 5-MeO with the intention of sort of following her as far out as I could before coming back. And I took the hit and I felt like poof, like, like Star Trek warp drive. I, I, I went after her just to, to follow her and escort her in that way, if that makes any sense. And when I, I came back to the cooing of a dove and I felt her, I'm getting goosebumps right now. I felt her in like every cell of every blade of grass, of every animal, of every tree. Of She was everywhere. And I really, really got the whole essence of what it really means to be Mother Spirit. Mother Earth, nurturing, that connectedness that you described, all of that came to me. And I was just awestruck, literally awestruck. Now... That I wrote about in my sequel to Spirit Matters. That's in my uh, second memoir called Pico Flor, which is my next 20 years in the jungle and all those plants and stuff. Now, flash forward a bit more. I just, just, just about two weeks ago, I published the audio book 
of my book. It's called Death, A Love Story. And it's first person death. And death basically says, hi, I'm your death and I'm here for you. No, no, don't freak out on me. Not now. Not in that way. At least I don't think so. But I will be here because my love for you is unconditional and all consuming. And I really can't wait for you to come home to me. And whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. So I would really, I love you. And I want you to love me the same way instead of making me look like this creepy guy with a sickle and, you know, bones and all that. So um, I was, when the book was getting ready to come out in print, Jacques had no idea what was going on. But I, I published it. And when it came out, it came out literally right just before COVID really hit. It came out at that moment you know like like literally a few days before you heard about all the, they realized what covid was and what was happening and all that now jacques he goes by uh, jacques olivier he goes by paloca lele which means flying frog and he and i had done like i said probably a dozen years of taking people through that experience until we we, we worked through it all and didn't need to do it anymore and he was up playing at the imagine festival up on orcas island and he was he was playing a ukulele, and um, he was in a big tent with a big heart above him on the top of the tent, and it was Friday the thirteenth, and it was a full moon, and he was singing this song by David Byrne called "Lazy." Now I don't I always mangle the words, but it started you know I'm wicked and I'm lazy, I'm lazy as a lover, I'm lazy when I work. It goes like that. <laughs> so Jacques was singing that song to an audience on stage playing the ukulele and he and he said this lines I'm feeling so lazy I think I'm going to stop right when he said that he literally dropped dead on stage dropped dead he dropped dead really dead 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 as a doornail a nurse was up in the audience she jumped up she broke two of his ribs she worked on him for I don't know 5 10 minutes something like that the paramedics came. They hit him six times with the paddles. And he came back on the sixth time. And they life flighted him out. And he ended up getting a triple bypass. Um, and he had no brain damage, nothing. And um, so his book is called Nature Loves Courage. Which now, we okay, about. we got to go for our top of the hour break. I got to ask you a question. You know Terrence, you, your mentor, right? One of one of many, yeah. Yes, somebody. I remember Art telling me he had a guest on the show. I don't know if it was you or somebody else in Hawaii. There, somebody smoked his ashes. Some of his ashes. Oh yeah, that wasn't Jock, but Jock did do the five meo next to his ashes. Okay, because somebody said they actually smoked some of his ashes, too. Oh, I'll, I wouldn't be surprised. They smoked banana peels back in the day, right? Yeah. Uh, tea doesn't work. I can tell you that from junior high school. Anyway, yeah. we'll be back with Matthew in about four minutes. You're listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio. Don't forget, we have Heidi Hollis on tomorrow talking about shadow people. And then on Sunday at 7 p.m., we got a two-hour show dedicated to truckers we're gonna have well paranormal stories trucker stories a lot of music so make sure you tune into that you don't even have to be a trucker but if you know somebody's a trucker let them know you can find us here at uh, www.nightdreamstockradio you can find it on speaker iheart and all those apps anyway we'll be back with matthew in 
We'll find out more about the subject, so stay tuned. We'll be back. Wandering through Wichita, doubt my salvation On account of all the ways I've gone wrong And I'm lonesome Lonesome and long Come along on a unique journey of adventure and discovery. Read on the Trail of Bigfoot, a first-hand account from paranormal researcher and skilled outdoorsman Mike Dupler on his many years of investigations into the Bigfoot phenomena and his personal encounters with these enigmatic creatures of the forest complete with photographs. Don't delay. Order your copy today. This book will inspire those who have answered the call to seek this elusive creature, the Bigfoot. The truth is out there. On the Trail of Bigfoot by Mike Dupler. Available now at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and IndieBound.org Beaming to you like a whirlwind in syndication and on all the apps worldwide you are listening to Night Dreams Talk Radio Network And we are back and I can tell you it's a different type of show here tonight but you know what it's kind of fun. They got 
out of talking about, well, invasions of ETs and and monsters and UFOs and, you know, shadow people and all that type of stuff. Matthew, you are back live and not Memrix. Ah, yes, sir. That was actually a great place to stop because this is I got the, the I got the dot on the exclamation point of the story. Interesting. I, I, you know, I, again, I mean, if you go back all these years, you experimented. Has yeah. it been honestly worth it to you? Absolutely. You should have seen me before. This uh, really made me a, a more balanced person. I've dealt with my anger. My life is pretty zen now. And when I was mentioning earlier about um, in indigenous cultures that the, the dreams and the visions and waking reality, so to speak, are all just one continuum of shifting around. Well, it started happening in the jungle at first. The visions and the dreams played into each other. And then they started playing into everyday life. And the result is that it made everyday life more magical and dreamlike. It does. You know, I, I joke around sometimes. You know, like when you go to bed at night and you have this dream, you know, and like you're at a waterfall and here's all these naked native women just bringing you mm-hmm. fruits and, and bananas and, you know, all that grapes and just loving you, right? Yeah. And, you know, and you're having this dream and it's so real. Then you wake up to find out the only reason why you had this dream is your dog snuck next between you and your (laughs) wife and had an accident and wet the bed, which then tripped off the dream of the waterfall in, in the pond and all that stuff. But, you know, again, sometimes you wonder, is the dream reality or another part of reality? Maybe it's real. It's when you're in it, it's real. Right? Oh, yeah, I think so. You know, and if you get really good at it, you can manipulate your dreams. Absolutely. You could become lucid and then you can fly and breathe underwater and all that. So um, when, when Jacques was recovered, I helped him publish his book, Nature Loves Courage, uh, about his experiences up to dying and coming back. And he told me that he was dead for 15 minutes. And he came back totally undamaged. So I finally said to him, Jacques, I got to know. I said, is 5-MEO a dress rehearsal for death? And he gave me a smile and he said, oh, yeah, it is. So that really made a big difference for me. And it was a confirmation of something I suspected all along. Now, did he tell you what type of trip he had when he was dead, clinically dead? What did he remember? He remembered being fully conscious and aware in a place um, without senses. You know, no sense of touch or taste or that, but being fully consciously aware of being there in this place. And there's been a lot of uh, speculation about that, about, you know, if you're expecting, if you're expecting the angels to come, or you're looking for the tunnel of light, that could happen. But if you go in and you kind of don't have any expectations and you wait for the mystery to unfold without you interfering with it, a whole new possibilities can open up. When you use the internet, you automatically share personal information that can be used to discriminate against you or charge you more for a product. 
Fortunately, the California Privacy Protection Agency is making new rules to let you better control your online privacy. For example, Californians have the right to ask businesses to stop selling their information or even delete it altogether. But that's not all. Visit cppa.ca.gov to learn more about your privacy rights and how to participate in our public hearings later this month. It kind of confirmed that for me. And, you know, and the fact that, I mean, he was gone for 15 minutes and he has, he has no, like, brain damage and all of that. Wow. Um, but, I, but I think the training, one of the things about shamanism and the psychedelic and visionary experience is, is that you're learning to navigate consciousness, good, bad, and indifferent. And if you continue on the path, particularly with ayahuasca, you will face the darkness and you will face light that's unimaginable. But if you don't, you can't have the light without the dark or the dark without the light. So you're always working toward the center where you have the greater perspective of all of it. But you really need to be aware of them both. You know, my, my old personal coach used to say, oh, yeah, you know, the granola eaters, they all want to be light workers. And I just want to have the light and the light. And she's like, nah, you got to deal with the darkness, too. It's part of it. Can you, when you are on this stuff, can you control what's going on or does it just take you for the ride? It's a little bit of both. The best analogy, it can overwhelm you, but the best analogy is dancing with it. Now, when, when you, so we, we normally function within the world with our left brain, logical. We're functioning, we're driving cars, we're doing work, we're doing math, we're writing. It's all left brain logical. When we go to sleep at night, the left brain at some point will get a rest and the right brain will come out to play. Now the right brain communicates in a completely different language. It's, uh, it's almost alien. It's more conceptual, emotional. Um, it, it's you know like the basis of the feminine intuition comes from that part of the brain. It's the creative side. It doesn't speak in normal linear sentences. It, you know, in intuition you can get suddenly in, a, in an epiphany, realize that these 27 things you've been working on all mean the same thing, and you get that aha. You know, that is the right intuitive. It's superior to logical, which has to plot along one thing at a time. And then when you wake up, your logical mind comes back and like, what was that? Try to figure out what was that weird dream about? And it tries to figure everything that happened. Now, when you drink ayahuasca, your right brain gets turned on and your left brain is still on. And then things get really interesting. How long, how long after you drink it? Uh, by the way, you got my curiosity up. What's it taste like? I like to think it's a combination of uh, a mixture of um, battery acid and crankcase oil. Uh, <laughs> some people think it t tastes like molasses. Um, it can be really j just nasty. And it's, if you're getting good stuff, it's pretty thick. And... Uh, all the years when I was doing it, if I was just watching other people drink, I would start to gag. Um, and you can be nauseous for quite some time. But what they say in, in another one of the lore of the jungle things is that all of the discomfort that you go through is what you have to do to prove yourself worthy of the knowledge of the gift the, that the plants have to give you. Well, after you drink whatever you drink, how long does it take before you start feeling some of the effects? That's one of the things I love about it. It's unpredictable. I've seen people drink it, and five minutes later, they're launched. I've seen people take an hour. 
Uh, there have been cases of people who did a whole ceremony for four or five hours where nothing happened, and then the ceremony ended, and then they hit, then it hit them. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a real unpredictability to it, and, and frankly, that's one of the things I love about it. Um, it's also uh, speaking of archetypes, it's considered the dark feminine, and um, it it has a way of showing you things you might not want to see. It over the course of the dieta. The boundaries between your subconscious and your conscious blur, and you get physically weaker, and the boundaries between sleeping and waking, all that blurs, and all your subconscious material comes up. And if you have trauma or resentments or or things like that that you would rather ignore and deny, they come up and it kind of rubs your face in it. And then you got to deal with it. Because you're basically by yourself. You can't blame anybody or, or, or do, you know, that kind of a thing. So um, the whole goal is to become more unified. They, they say in shamanism, it's called the power path. Um, it's what Carlos Castaneda used to call becoming a man of knowledge. And it's basically getting all the different diverse aspects of yourself and your personality. And as I like to say, you work toward getting the whole band to sing the same tune. Interesting. So, Do you get like a, a life review on it too? Like your whole oh, yeah. Time. Oh, yeah. There's things I've forgotten about that came up. Um, it will come up. Um, and then your other senses are altered. And um, you get colors and patterns that are take you uh, just you don't even know you're here anymore. You're someplace else. I mean, you're gone. My, I have this new book out. Uh, it's coming out toward the end of the year called Holographic Cosmic Man. And it has a lot to do with sacred geometry. And I like to say that I learned everything I ever knew about sacred geometry from ayahuasca. And then I followed up with the books and the intellectual studies, but I was really shown it there. Now, if you had your choice between LSD and this herbs, which one uh, did you prefer? Well, I, I hate to sound like the old geezer that I am, but now for me, after all the ayahuasca work I've done, LSD is like preschool. Wow. I, 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 I had some LSD a while fairly recently, and I, I was altered, but I was like, so what? You know, um, I always like to say I'm in a con- constant state of integration. And I tell people, in many respects, it's not the experience, but it's the time in between when you're assimilating it and putting it into practice. That's really what's more important. You can get a revelation under these experiences and learn something, but if you don't follow through in your everyday life, then you're just wasting your time. People will see something and think, oh, I got it all figured out. No, you were just shown it. Then you have to put it into practice. And these these habits are you know, ingrained all the way back to birth and maybe even beyond that. Interesting. Does it show you like what the future of mankind is? Does it give you any, any you know, warnings or anything like that? Uh, Does it open up your, your, your thoughts of, you know, what life yeah, could be in the future? I've, um, I have my own ideas about that, which I won't go off on, but, um, I've had very intense premonitions and dreams and visions. Um, and I didn't realize just how profound they were until after. So traditionally in the jungle, um, way back, if they were going to, for argument's sake, I love to use the jaguar as an example. If they're going to hunt the jaguar, they would do an ayahuasca ceremony and they would hunt the jaguar spirit in that experience. 
and the, and the jaguar is kind of a knowing part of it. And then when they come out of the experience, they, um, they'll follow through with the hunt, but that's just like following through what they already did. An interesting thing about this plant dieta, when you do it that way over that period of time, is you become one with the jungle. I like to say it's you're seeing the jungle from the inside out, and you smell like the jungle. All your human smells are gone. You, you're, you've been taking plant baths and ingesting all these plants for all this time. You smell like the jungle. Now, jaguars are primarily nocturnal hunters, um, mostly at dusk. And they have a highly, highly refined sense of smell that's like 500 or 1,000 times more than humans. They really rely on their smell. So when they would do the ayahuasca cleansing dietas, and they would hunt the jaguar, and they would smell like the jungle, then in many respects, they were invisible to the jaguars because that was a, one of their primary sensory modalities was a sense of smell, uh, as it is with dogs. So I've s seen a lot of things in my own life that proved out later that I saw were premonitions. But when you get the subconscious material coming up in this emotional, conceptual, visual way, you have to try to interpret it, just like dream interpretation. You can't really go buy a book on dream interpretation. It's a very personal thing. There, there may be commonalities in some dream symbolism, but the actual down and dirty symbolism is very personal to the individual. You know, just like visionary experience or life experience, it all come down to, comes down to one of my favorite expressions, uh, uh, radical subjectivity. It's, it's in the eye of the beholder. Interesting. So, I mean, you, you know, again, I remember when I was really in a depression and I went out there and I was staring at the sky. I was staring at the stars. I was staring at my trees. I was staring at my horses and I felt like all it connected. Yeah. So the, the, what you're saying that what this does, it makes you connect not just with the jungle, but it, it makes you connect with mother earth. Absolutely. The, the jungle to me is a symphony. And they, so in shamanism, absolutely everything is energy. You can uh, interchange the word spirit with energy. If I get mad and punch somebody, you could say, I was possessed by the spirit of anger. So in these ayahuasca experiences, you experience and work directly with many of the, all of these different plants and animal spirits too. I've no. got a serious, my primary totem now is, uh, hummingbird, which they call picaflor. And, so uh, so you can connect with wildlife? Absolutely. I, I got another, I, I wrote a book about that too. <laughs> or a couple of them. Here's the thing. Everything is energy. And when you go into an ayahuasca ceremony, you're all tuning into uh, a vibration. Just like right now, you and I are having this discussion and how many people are out there with their radios tuned to the same frequency that we're transmitting at. And they're totally tuned into what we're doing here because they're tuned into that same frequency, just like the radio. So the ayahuasca frequency, when you're in that ceremony, all these other uh, energies can come into play. It's why, like, so, you know, American Indians don't say the bear or the horse. They say bear and they say horse, because they see it all as one spirit. And uh, when we do the ceremonies and we're singing to the plants, we're honoring them. 
And there's a tradition that's called uh, whistling through the forest. And basically, you go into the jungle and you're basically saying, look, I know I'm in your territory and I respect you. And I know that you can heal me or you can kill me. You're the boss. And I'm here to ask for your help because I respect you. And when you do it in that way, in that, for lack of better words, like spiritual way, they come to you in ways you can't even begin to imagine. And you are shown things and, and you learn things about yourself and you learn to become uh, more balanced. And in essence, you go on a journey from your head to your heart and you go from being head centered or intellectually centered to being heart centered, which is considered to be the superior organ. The, um, our, in, in the Temple of Anthropocosmic Man in Luxor, Egypt, it's a pre very precise mathematical map of the human body and the cosmos. And the heart is kind of the center. In shamanism, our heart is the center of our personal cosmos, which is holographic with the, with the bigger picture. And our heart at the center of our being is connected to the sun, which is the unconditional energetic life giver at the center of our solar system. And in shamanism, our heart is connected with that, and that is connected to a bigger one, to a bigger one, to a bigger one, all the way back to source. So, in essence, you, even though you're really in your head raising cane, <laughs> you're actually really moving from your, um, from your head to your heart, and you become heart-centered. And then you start having more uh, telepathic experiences and intuitions and ESP. I've been to the point in the jungle where I'd be laying there in the dark under my mosquito net during the day, and then I would think of somebody, and I would sit up, and then they'd come walking over the hill. Um, there are another uh, a number of other experiences. When I first researched it, one of the first explorers, Richard Spruce, which was like 1865, talked about the active component. He called it telepathine. And when I read that, I was like, I got to try that. And then they also call it the bind of death and the bind of the soul. And when I heard those things, I, I couldn't not try it. People would say to me, you're brave. You're going in the jungle and doing that. And I'm saying it's got nothing to do with bravery. I can't not go. I have to go. I got to know. And, you know, that's my nature. Now, um, you've written how many books now? How many books are you up to? I, I, I have 17 in print. And my 18th is coming out uh, in November. Um. They're e-books, they're tree books, and um, I've got 11 of them now as audio books. And yeah. I've, been, I've been writing for about 44 years. I've been teaching, my, my workshop is Fantastic Fiction, primarily now at the Santa Barbara Writers Conference, and it's Fantastic Fiction, P-H-A-N-T-A-S-T-I-C. And it's literature of the visionary, supernatural, metaphysical, horror, fantasy, and science fiction. Do you have a website you can share? Yes, sir. Um, I've got two of them. There's uh, mattpalamary.com, M-A-T-T-P-A-L-L-A-M-A-R-Y. And there's tons of audio and video and stuff there. And people just have to Google my name and my website will come up. And then I have all of my published works collected on Mystic Inc. Publishing. That's M-Y-S-T-I-C-I-N-K-P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-N-G.com. Um and I've got, I got fiction, nonfiction, short stories, memoirs, historical novel, books on shamanism, books on writing, um, horror stories, science fiction novels. I got, I, I'm a publicist nightmare because I write all different stuff. And you write paranormal too, don't you? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. I got some great paranormal no uh, novels, and there's a bit of paranormal in my memoirs, quite frankly. Um, there's a whole other thing that happened in the jungle. I, did, I didn't want to overwhelm you with <laughs> Well, we got stuff. about six minutes. What, you want to try to overwhelm us? Well, I'm going to spoil the end of my memoir, Spirit Matters. Okay. Okay. So I was in the, I told my, my mom and I were close. She was my best friend. I'd be dead or in jail without it wasn't for her. She raised four of us by herself. My mom was worried about me going into the jungle. And she said to me, wait a minute, you mean to tell me you're going to go into the middle of the jungle and hallucinate? And I'm like, uh, yeah, ma. And she's like, oh, my God. And then I had done a radio show with a friend who asked me some good questions, and I sent her the tape of the show, and she felt a little better. Then she was only worried about me getting kidnapped by the Shining Path, but she realized I had done my research. So I'm in the jungle, and when you go, you're 10 days. You're, you're not near anything. You're, off, you're literally off the grid. If you look at the earth at night, all those black spots, that's where you are. You're in how far spot. in the jungle are you? I mean, how far do you have to go in? So I, you know, I, I fly to a, a jungle town in Peru from Lima. From that town, you go two hours by dusty, pot, muddy roads, potholy in cabs to a village, and then two hours more upstream in canoes to the shaman's camp. Wow. So, yeah, I did my first dieta, and I had the most lucid dream ever. And in it, there was beautiful woman, Teresa. And she was just the most beautiful thing. And I realized that I was in the dream, and I was asleep in the jungle, and the dream was more real and being asleep in the jungle, and I was lucid, and I said to myself, I'm not going to take control of this dream. I'm going to stay lucid and let it unfold. And I had this beautiful communion with this Teresa, who had no idea who it was. And then um, I woke up. She kissed me. And when she kissed me, I woke up, and I, it was like I had fallen. I really woke up with a start. And I was asking people about Teresa and Teresa and have you heard Teresa de Avila and this and that and, and I didn't know who she was. And some people told me. Well, that night in the ceremony, she came to me in my visions and I was in rapture with her for like four hours and it was just the most sublime, exquisite experience ever. And it was pure love and she spoke to me in Spanish and I didn't know Spanish and it was telepathic and I was just blown away. Now, here's, here's the corker. I had a deal with my mom. As soon as I get out of the jungle and I can find a phone, call her and let her know I'm alive. So I called her and I was all excited. And I was like, Ma, you got to really think I lost it here. You gotta, don't freak out on me, but I know you're going to think I've gone off the deep end. But I had this dream and this vision of Teresa de Avila. And she got really quiet. And I'm like, Ma, what, what, what's up? What's up? Did I freak you out too much? And she said to me, I've never, ever told this to anybody in my entire life. But you know your grandmother was hardcore Catholic. And when we were kids, she assigned your aunt, Joan, St. Joan. And she assigned me Santa Teresa de Avila. And although you know I never fully bought into the, to the Catholic stuff, every time I've ever prayed or thought of that, I've always prayed to Santa Teresa. That killed it for me. I was a changed man at that point. That totally changed me in the most profound ways. And um, 
as it's unfolded, I've realized that it was my repressed feminine that was really non-existent before that ever happened. And as a result of that, my intuition just shot up through the ceiling where I had like none before. Yeah. You know, you've had an interesting life. I mean, to be able to merge with nature, the jungles, to know and and go through the dream states and what you've gone to experience, what is reality? What isn't reality? Are we walking down the street? Is that reality? Or what did you experience was really reality? That is what is very interesting. Hey, I, again, the time went by so fast. Uh, yeah, I love it, Gary. I really love, enjoy talking to you. Of course, you let me do most of the talking. So. <laughs> well, you're the guest. And, you know, I don't have to sit there and direct you which way to go. That makes it a lot easier. Again, why don't you share your websites here before I let you go, Matthew? Sure. Thank you. Uh, MattPalamary.com. M-A-T-T-P-A-L-L-A-M-A-R-Y.com. And then uh, all my books are also on Amazon and all that. But my publishing website is MysticInkPublishing.com. M-Y-S-T-I-C-I-N-K. P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-N-G dot com. Come on down, say hi. There's a contact form and all that stuff if you want to get on a mailing list. Great. Well, Matthew, you have a great weekend. Stay out of trouble. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And if you get caught, blame it on my producer. I love it. I will blame him. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, my friend, you take care. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. Uh Uh-huh. Well, don't forget, tomorrow we got Heidi... uh, Hollison, we're going to talk about shadow people. And don't forget, Sunday, we're going to have a trucker show for two hours. We're going to talk about paranormal stuff that can actually happen out, you know, when you're out driving, you know, bringing a load. I mean, strange paranormal things happen on the road. Believe me. I did, Again, I want to thank all of you guys here. Make sure you tell your friends about the show. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel, please do give it a thumbs up. That's important because our sponsors want to know. Again, we've been averaging, even summertime, we've been hitting between 2 and 4 million downloads a night on the show. Now, again, I will be taking off a few more days during the month of August. Just like anybody, I just can't go on a two-week vacation. I try to break it up and be here with most of you guys. If everything goes good on, you know, the Saturday and, and my experiment on Sunday's show, you might find us here, you know, pretty much six nights a week. Well, everybody have a good one. We will catch you on the other side. So take care. And again, thank you all. And thank you, Matthew. You were a great guest. This Sunday, August 14th, it's our first annual Truckers Night, Appreciation Night, 7 p.m. When you use the Internet, you automatically share personal information that can be used to discriminate against you or charge you more for a product. 
Fortunately, the California Privacy Protection Agency is making new rules to let you better control your online privacy. For example, Californians have the right to ask businesses to stop selling their information or even delete it altogether. But that's not all. Visit cppa.ca.gov to learn more about your privacy rights and how to participate in our public hearings later this month. Mom, Dad, I humbly suggest you save some money and shop Amazon for back to school. It's for my growth, meaning my body's growing at an alarming rate. And clothes you buy me this year will be very small very soon. Plus, the clothes I love today will be out of style tomorrow. But at least your wallet doesn't have to be my fashion victim if you shop low prices for school at Amazon. Hopefully this is helpful. Amazon. Spend less, smile more.